Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This week's major spoilers podcast weekend type edition goes out to Benjamin Golub, who I'm not going to make a joke about being made out of clay, but I probably should. In any case, we appreciate all our faithful spoiler outs, but this one goes out to Benjamin. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, 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 the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to have you with us, and hopefully you're taking Hello, us with us where people. you go. Across the highways and byways, we are on all of your travels. Speak for yourself. Got a question for you guys. Hello, Uh, I'm actually speaking. Digital comics, digital comics. Yes, Uh, digital comics have been around a long time before you know Comicsology and some of these other people got into the habit. Um, mainly in the form of people scanning the comic books. They go out on Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever their new day was, scan the comics, wrap them up, put them in a CBR format, which is simply just a RAR format. Uh, RAR. RAR. And put them up on rawr. all the torrent sites so people wouldn't have to buy the comics. Basically get them for free. Mm-hmm. And then you had the iPad and the digital readers and all this stuff come out. And people are like, Oh, this is just going to kill the industry because people are going to be pirating comics. Well, they've already kind of been doing that. Sure. So the question is for you guys. Pirated comics, is it hurting the industry? Is it going to kill the comic book industry? Matthew, go. That's two different questions. Is it hurting the industry? Certainly. Because, I mean, at at this point in time when pre-DC relaunch, a really well-selling book... Well selling, good selling, a highly selling book, you book know, would, sell would well. do 60,000 copies. A bestseller, a pirate, you know, okay, bestsellers are doing 60, 70,000 copies. You pirate a thousand copies that people might have had to go out and buy, then yeah, you're hurting the industry. But is it necessarily going to kill the industry? I think what it's going to come down to is monetizing other outlets. I mean, if you have like the day and date release of a digital comic, a lot of the quote unquote thieves who have been, you know, scanning these books 
have recently said, well, you know, these books are becoming digitally available. And so we're not going to do this anymore. And whether that's out of fear, whether that's out of some, you know, bizarre nobility, whatever it is, at this point, now that the books have become digital, if there's a viable digital alternative, some of the pirates are saying, we're done here because you can read the book digitally. But I think that anything that takes sales out of the hands of the retailers vis-a-vis taking money out of the hands of the creators who are, you know, trying to maximize this teeny tiny shrinking teeny tiny base. I would say, yeah, it's definitely hurting the industry. And I don't think that it's entirely coincidental that since the last big, you know, speculator craze, the, well, I won't say the last one, since the really big bubble break on the speculator craze in about 1996, we have seen a just a downward spiral of comic stores, comic sales locations, and a really huge upward spike in terms of those digital availabilities, especially illegal digital availability. So I would say, yes, it's definitely hurting the industry. But I think that the advent of things like comicsology may be able to keep it from killing the industry. I would agree with you on on that point, Matthew, mainly because uh, it's already been proven in the record industry. Oh, if we start selling our our record, I mean, if we all of our CDs are being pirated and that's going to kill kill the music industry. And then uh, then the record industry was like, oh, we could never sell our stuff digitally. Why would people buy it when they can pirate it for free? And yet it's been proven. Mm-hmm. There's numbers and dollars and cents. That show when you're offered the chance to go to some place and hunt around for who knows how long to find an illegal copy of something and you have a reasonably priced, and that's the kind of the key word here, reasonably priced version of that that's easily accessible, people are going with the legal version. Mm -hmm. So I think comics is going to go that same way, right? So you're right, Matthew. Yes, any kind of piracy – any kind of piracy is going to hurt the industry. Look at the porn industry. Um, it's bleeding itself because people are not paying for porn because they can go and get it for free. People aren't going to paying for right. websites like they used to. People aren't going out and buying the movies that they're used to uh, like they used to. Not going out and buying the magazines. Although the shelves are stocked. Every time I go into Hastings, that porn section that I have to walk by. Mm. Have to walk by. Right have to go. walk by. Forcing me to walk have by. To. God, is it's the only way there. to get to better homes and gardens is stacked with naked ladies. Do not s- there. don't say don't say stack. <laughs> don't say stack. Um, but there's also the option in the mid 1990s, and I will say this, and I admit it now. In the mid 1990s, there was a time when I may have actually sought out music. I don't do this any longer, but sought out music on the Napster. And when the Napster went away, there were still options for it. But I'll tell you, it was the equivalent of walking into a dirty back alley and buying a bottle of goofballs from a shifty-eyed guy. It was dangerous. I mean, anytime you would go mm-hmm. looking and you'd be like, I want to listen to this song by Jethro Tull, it would be like, you know, pop-ups and spam and porn spam and spam porn and, you know, all these terrible things. And I mm-hmm. think that a lot of times spam when you're dealing porn. with those digital options – yeah. When you're dealing with those digital options, I think that, first of all, the expectation is that you're going to be dealing with shifty-eyed guys in visual, virtual back alleys, but also the spam porn and, you know, go looking for something and find an executable virus instead. You know, I think that that is something that if you make 
the actual legal alternative available, it's the equivalent of having a sign that says shoplifters will be prosecuted. You're not going to stop somebody who wants to steal from your store. What you're going to do is you're going to keep the honest people honest by reminding them that shoplifting, or in this case, you know, illegally downloading your topic, your stuff, is a crime. And so, you know, there's a legal option for you to get X. You're not going to stop a broke 14-year-old from going out and trying to download an illegal copy of Batman number one, whatever it is he wants. But at that point in time, 15, 16 other people who are like, you know, I could share and torrent that from this kid who stole it. They have an option to where they can go and spend $1.99 or whatever it is in DC's app and get day and date, read the comic, have the comic and not have to feel bad about themselves or download a virus into their computer. You know what, uh, Rodrigo, do you have anything to add on to that? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Here's my take on piracy. Arr, it's driving me nuts. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, here, here's an analogy for piracy. <laughs> we'll, we'll let Matthew finish. He's not done yet. He, now he has yeah, to like remember it. <laughs> yep, see, there it is. He just remembers what leads up to the punchline. <laughs> then he remembers the punchline again. And goes, yeah, there it is. All right. I don't know what you're talking about. I thought he was really pirate upset about pirate pirating. Right. Um. So yeah. Here's yes. Here's my analogy for piracy. It's like does piracy hurt the industry and by the industry i mean any industry yes but that's like saying do bacteria hurt people some bacteria does some bacteria hurt people some but if you say just our food if you say should we get rid of all bacteria no of course not because then it would be really hard to digest certain things i think that piracy is part of the market and as Mm. long as piracy is under control it actually helps the market because so? you are always going to lose money to pirates mm-hmm. right there's always going to be people pirating music pirating movies pirating comics anything especially now anything that's digital but those people are also diffusing that stuff for you mm-hmm. it's like saying those darn honeybees taking my pollen and taking it around it's like well they're pollinizing everything mm-hmm. right and there's a benefit out of it too and there's a benefit out of it so as long as as long as the amount of piracy doesn't entirely outstrip the amount of money you're making, mm-hmm. piracy can actually work for you. Piracy working for you. Yar, right. It's driving and me nuts. Piracy and you. And a that's film strip. That's actually something that the music industry, I would say, still to this day kind of hasn't right. gotten into their brains. Right. That you need to look at it as a complete system. Mm -hmm. Like you need, when you make your projections, you need to figure out how things are pirated and not just count it as a loss, but also as a way of dissemination. Mm -hmm. In a way, it's been tapped into by viral marketing. Right. Um, But that's a little different because that's very, you know, regardless of what they want you to think, Mm -hmm. viral marketing is very controlled. Yes. Like, there's a a bunch of guys who are tracking it at all times. Yes. Like, as to where the hits are coming from. Right. Um, I get emails every day. Right. Can you send us a link to anything that you did covering this? Exactly, exactly. So, um, basically what I'm getting at is that crime 
is part of the system. Right. So if you look at it as part of the system, you can actually work it to your advantage. Right. I wonder, I wonder if we would have, if it, if we would have digital comics today, if it weren't, weren't for piracy, you know, somebody sitting back and going, well, you know, piracy is going on and the industry is screaming, oh, piracy. And then somebody sat back and said, you know, I bet we could make a buck off this. And here's how. Boom, 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 boom. And now here we are. Right. Because there were there well, were kind of there bad. were legal e-readers and there were companies selling legal versions of the digital comics long before the iPad came out. Sure. Right. Um and so that might be one of those things that's that's a bonus. You know, it's in, it's interesting uh, when Major Spoilers first launched and I was trying to get in contact and try to break ground with some of these publishing companies and saying, oh, the name of our site's Major Spoilers. Oh, do you really spoil everything? And there was kind of the reply back from it. It's like, well, we don't re- really want you to spoil everything. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? There was a study that came out recently that mm-hmm. said spoiling something, a movie, it's a sled, uh, a record, she sings. <laughs> she was born that way um, <laughs> or comic books right the doesn't in fact it may actually increase it was people's a giant interest. squid it was a giant squid yeah uh may actually increases people's interest in mm-hmm. that property or yeah. that item or that whatever and so maybe you're right right Regal. maybe piracy has a place oh yeah just like, just like, for example, spoilers for a place. And some people will say, no, 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 no spoilers for me, thanks. But some people will, will be like, well, I'm not, I'm not interested anyway. And then they'll look at him and be like, Prometheus is a bad guy. Oh, I got to go watch this now so I can get into murder. It's his wife's head but in the, the box. There's also yeah. kind of, there's that, that, you know, the rule of the first adopter, which states that basically in any, you know, in any brave new world, the first people out there will be pornographic. If you think about like hentai, Japanese hentai animation, and I do. (laughs) Here's the thing, though: if you think about this, hentai animation actually kind of existed before the anime Mm -hmm. that we know about, because hentai basically existed as pornographic cartoon retellings of existing uh, manga type junk. Which then also people went, hey, this works. Let's make them, you know, let's make really regular ones. Let's turn Sailor Moon into an actual anime that doesn't have tentacle porn. So it's it's kind of that moment where I I think that it's interesting that, you know, whether you had a legal e-reader or an illegal e-reader, the digital applications that are coming out seem to be coming out in ways that might still be actually readable if you have that old e-reader. Now, it's not the case with the DC app on my phone thing, but, you know, it's, I don't know. Oh, how Lord, Lordy, Lordy. Steven about to go off, child. Let me complain about digital comics for a moment. I know this is something that I rarely do because <laughs> I'm Steven and I have I'm going to complain about digital comics. You know, you know what's great it. about digital day and date releases is that some titles Bellas. you actually get in Before. about two hours. Yeah. Right. At 12.01 or whatever time, the 2, 2 a.m. when uh, iTunes updates its store, right? Mm-hmm. So I can get Atomic Robo first thing in the morning. Some publishers, I'm not saying who, DC Comics, has struck a deal with Comixology and their other providers that they work with. Only Comixology right now, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to release 
the day and date digital stuff at two o'clock in the afternoon. To give people to a give to the brick the and mortars a chance to go to the to, to give them a chance. Right. I guess it's one of those little give stores little a chance. Yeah, it's this with little gives that will give you. Oh yes, we will let you have your four hours of sale before we release it digitally. But you know what? I I don't think honestly. I don't think the digital comic reader is the same person as the brick and mortar physical copy comic reader. No, it's a. And I honestly don't think that waiting four hours to release the digital edition is going to have a huge impact in the print side. You know? Yeah, I I can definitely see what you're saying. I think it is 100% a gesture. It's yes, them it saying, is. It you is. know. Yes, we have we now have our entire catalog digitally. Don't worry, we still care about the brick and mortar store. So we're going to make Steven wait 12 hours for his comics. Yeah. Still on the same day, it's just not at right, the same time. Right, exactly. And if you and really want it now, Stephen, you'll go to your brick and mortar. Well, great. My brick and mortar is four hours away. So guess what? By the time I do get sure. my print copy, it's going to be sure, the same sure. time as I but, get my digital but copy. But again, it's a gesture, and it's a gesture for that very important part of the industry, which is that the middleman. Right. It's, it's that person that is freaking out about whether the mom and pop shops are going are going to last the night. Well, our mom and pop sh- shops closed 10 years ago, so, right. so I don't do we even have any mom and pop shops left in Hayes? Actually, they just opened a card store. Like a oh, basically yeah, yeah. exclusive magic card shop. Oh, really? Yes. Is that Shane that did that? No, no. Um it's some other guy who just moved back into the area. Oh, it's okay. like across the street from Papa Murphy's, like that other street, not the cemetery. It's uh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Right, in that okay, little yeah, mall yeah, in that little mall place. Yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. But are, but you know, think about it. Are there any mom and pop shops in Hayes America? Hayes America being the epitome of small town America. Right. Do you mean comic stores? No, I'm just talking about mom and pop shops. Um, I think there's a Volga German Vietnamese place that's still a mom and pop <laughs> shop. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. There um, are a few local restaurants mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that restaurants are that way. Is mostly that, that are that way. But you know what? Those those come and go pretty quickly. There are uh motels that are you know they're locally owned but they're franchises right, they're franchises so i wouldn't count those okay. but i mean do you have a independent clothing store anymore mm, i think in hayes there is one sophisticates is independent isn't it i don't know okay i have never gone in there well it's a girl shop well, that's probably why i've never gone in there i think there's at least one independent clothing store and one independent shoe store brown's I don't know. Yeah, that you're probably right. That that may be that may be one. Um, but everything else is some kind in of a, my town, and there are certainly still auto mechanic places right, are all right. local. I mean, those kind of things. But you know, is there an independent gas station? No, serves as a regional gas right, station. Right. Is there is there really independent bookstores? No, those closed a long time ago. Uh, true independent clothing stores? Really, probably not. You've got your handful of local restaurants, but you're going to have those anywhere you go. I think weirdly enough in smaller towns out in the midwest the first thing to go was hobbies entertainment all that stuff was the the first mom and pop shops to go were those Mm -hmm. because you really can't afford to run a hobby store right unless you live in a moderately to large size city Mm -hmm. i I think Mm -hmm. nowadays um 
you know, electronic whereas, stores here. There's a, there's yeah. a couple of electronic stores, but they more specialize in hot rodding up your car, right? And a few home theater places, right. but they're affiliated with Whirlpool and, and those kind of things. Sure, sure. Our well, music but, store in town, not the CD selling music store, although G G and B Records closed years ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about the place where you go buy your band instrument. Right. And we've got we've got one six A school, which is a huge school, mm-hmm. and you've got a number of middle schools. And you've got, what's the, uh, TMP is like a 4A or something like that? 3 or 4A school? You'd think I'd know, but Well, you wouldn't. You you don't, do you? No. Okay. I don't pay attention to that. With all those kids who have a band and with a college that has a band, you'd think that a music store that sells instruments would be able to survive. No. No. So waiting four hours to get your digital comic book is not going to kill. I mean, you know, if you released it at the same time, it's not going to kill that. That brick and mortar. I, I, I do think that it's 100% a gesture. Matthew, you had said something earlier, which I want you to expand upon, mm-hmm. please. Is DC trying oh, to steal? Right. Is DC trying to steal from the brick and mortar stores? Explain that, please. Well, and I actually, I had this discussion a Sunday or two ago with uh, Dion, the manager at Gatekeeper, and we were talking about the day and date digital and we were talking about, you know, the, the gestures, many of them with the middle finger, but, you know, the intentions that have been put forth to tell these people, these few hundred or, you know, several hundred remaining stores, we want you to continue selling our product. We're not trying to edge you out. You know, we're not trying to make these things available to put you out of business, but it seems like there's a thought process of we're going to put these into place. So that we have, we're still covered when you go out of business. It's not necessarily a question of if anymore. It seems like it's a question of when. And we were talking about whether, you know, is DC intentionally saying in case the stores go under, we want to have this digital option? Mm. Or are they saying we know the stores are going to go under anyway, so we might as well, you know, start delivering digitally now so that when the stores go, if we make it faster, that's fine, but we know it's going to happen. And it kind of seems yeah. like the former. It seems like they're saying, you know, we expect these stores to be gone in X number of years. So we're we're sowing our oats now to make sure that there's a digital distribution alternative. I would agree with that. I would agree with that thinking in that when that happens, when there's less than a thousand, I think what are there like thirty five hundred comic book stores in the U.S. right now? When there's less than a thousand, I bet they're just going to flip that. I switch. only know the best one. Gatekeeper Hobbies, Huntoon engaged Topeka. That's what I, you I know, know. I bet if they wanted to right now, I mean, if you go back and look at the Marvel app and the DC Comics app, and of course you can go into any any of the publishers, they all have a good back catalog and growing, growing every day. Excuse me. I'm going to bet that if they really wanted to push and flood the digital market with issues, they could probably whip out in a week a hundred, a hundred copies of all of their titles. You know, 100 back issues of Batman, 100 back issues of Superman, whatever. 100 back issues of Amazing Spider-Man, 400 back issues of Spider-Man in a weekend if they wanted to. And I think they're ready for that right now. But the problem is if you flood the market, people are going to drown trying to figure out, well, where do I start? Right. And then they come to major spoilers and say, where do I start? Right. And then and Matt- we ignore them. <laughs> start at number one, um, which you can now very easily for 99 cents. Um so I, I, you know, I really think that the digital market group is a different group than the, than the physical 
comic book reader, but I think that that the publishers are trying to hedge their bets and make money off both now, grow that digital business so that when and if maybe I should say if, not when, if the comic book store goes under, then they're ready to to satisfy that market of, of the latecomers mm-hmm. to that curve. Matthew, you had mentioned bleeding curve a little bit ago. The late adopters, the the archaic adopters, have a place to go to at that last moment. There haven't been, except for this announcement of the Amazon or uh, yeah, the the Kindle Fire or whatever it is, the new e-reader that's coming out. We have not seen a whole lot of trades uh, collected digitally. You know, you'd have to buy each issue individually. There have been a few that have collected. You know, an entire run. I think Invincible has done it. Walking Den has done that a couple of times. Collect the entire digital trade at one price, so you're not running all over the place to find your book. Matthew, what is what is the end game for for Gatekeeper? I mean, are you guys sitting back going, "Well, I could see whenever the everybody goes digital day and date, and and we've got two customers coming in that we're going to switch to merchandise and trade ba- paperback solely"? Or do you guys have an end game? Mm-hmm. Have you got a ten year plan? Or a five-year plan? I don't know about a ten-year plan. I think, well, you have to understand. My belief in that f- is in five-year plans is that a lot of times five-year plans are going to be based on a lot of supposition and a whole lot of fingers crossed. I know there is a long game, and I think what it really boils down to is right now we are still selling the monthly individual issues. Mm-hmm. The trades are there, and I don't think the trades have overtaken the monthly issues yet. Um, and honestly, you know, we have noticed that the rising tide kind of raises all ships and that sales for comics are up across the board. Right. After the DC relaunch, you know, it's not something where DC is selling and we're not selling any more Marvel. We're actually selling more of everything. Right. We're selling out of, you know, books like The Walking Dead. We're selling out of books like Fear Itself, things that had not been selling out three, four five months ago. So short term. I think we're actually seeing a bolster in sales. I think we're seeing some of, you know, some of the lapsed readers coming back in as though it were Easter and or Christmas. But the question for me is, you know, after I always say issue three, issue one, you get the thing. Issue two, there's a little drop off or in this case, an increase in orders. Issue three is the point where people are going to go, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to follow this, this Wonder Woman thing. I'm not going to follow this OMAC thing, whatever we do. So. I think that right now we're still moving enough individual issues to where it's it's something that's functional. It's something that's still a big part of the plan. And yeah. I would say that that's probably at this point expected to be in play, at least for the near future. But the digital day and date did raise some eyebrows and it did, you know, put some not necessarily fear, but some definite questions in people's mind of are we going to be able to continue selling books when they're available immediately. You know, I, I always, I don't, I use Walden books and B Dalton as, you know, just bookstore examples, although they do still exist (laughs) depending on where you look, but you know, Barnes and Noble, uh, what's the other place, uh, that's closed down borders, borders, you know, these places that are closing down, they probably stole a lot of business from the comic book store. When they offered trade paperbacks and, you know, there's huge sections of shelves that have trade paperbacks. Uh, This Kindle Fire thing where where DC is offering exclusive trade uh, on the Kindle Fire uh, has caused some stores to yank the trades from their shelves. 
this might be a good time for Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies, maybe some other places to stock up on some of their trades to maybe get some of that traffic mm-hmm. of somebody who wants to go in and go, oh, my B. Daltons isn't co- carrying the latest issue of uh, the latest collection of Doc Savage magazine. And so they're going to go over to uh, <laughs> they're going to go over to Gatekeeper and, and look for that outlet. What year is it again? 1936. Where's my copy of Challengers of the Unknown? <laughs> this radio thing is probably going to kill the monthly comic book, see? It might. I tell you, this podcasting is going to kill radio. Right. Yeah, because that'll happen. Interestingly, though, Matthew, I think you've got quite a while before um, before the the digital comics overtake the the print comic sales. Uh, I forget which publisher it was, but they were very forthcoming. Maybe it was IDW, um, but as a medium sized, smaller publisher, basically said, right now, digital comic sales represent three percent of their overall sales. Mm-hmm. So three percent of a hundred thousand comics sold, hundred thousand copies sold. Yeah is what that's seven thousand let's see one percent of a hundred thousand so three thousand so three thousand comics yeah that's not a big i mean compared now granted if all three thousand of those people were used to be going to gatekeeper and now they're not that could be a huge impact on you right but but that's not how it goes that's not how it goes most of these are probably new readers so i think you've got a while i think you've probably got i don't know seven years Seven years before it becomes hypercritical. Yeah, hypercritical problem. Yeah. On the plus side, it could just flip around. Maybe the print sales continue at that pace, but everybody else is all new. Maybe it's the the young lass over in Oberlin Mm -hmm. who finally got an iPad 5, an iPad 5. Over in Oberlin? Over in Oberlin. And she Hmm. finally gets on and reads the new Supergirl. That's where I'm going this Friday. Yay, Oberlin. Um... And, uh, and and is finally discovering digital comics, where she wouldn't have known about a, a physical comic book store. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Batman Year One, Rodrigo? Yes. You saw that movie? I did. You know, there is a, a review over at Majorspoilers.com, DVD review. You Ooh. can go and read it. It's a pretty good adaptation. You saw it. Pretty mm-hmm. good adaptation of Year One. Eliza Dushku plays Catwoman. Ooh. I think she has like five lines in the entire yes. movie. And and they are all, Holly! Yes, all yelling at Holly. Uh, but there is a, a Catwoman backup feature. You know, mm-hmm. uh, DC, when they've been releasing these movies, they can't justify selling you a 60-minute movie for forty nine ninety nine. So they include a five to ten minute... A DC showcase. <laughs> a DC showcase. Uh, this time around, DC showcase in this collection features Catwoman. And um, it is a, it's basically a giant chase scene is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a whole lot of dialogue or acting. Essentially, Catwoman busts up some guys and there's a cat that she saves and it's wearing a necklace. And she goes, oh, where'd you get this uh, necklace at, cat? We don't know anything about the necklace. We don't know what it is. But it leads her to a strip club where she's trying to figure out uh, who this uh, illegal diamond smuggler, what he's bringing into Gotham next or exporting out of Gotham next. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some dancey dancing and some shaky shaking going on in that in that scene, which I think a lot of people are probably going to complain about. But to be honest, people are like, well, Catwoman's dressed all sexy and she's dancing on the stripper pole. It's actually part of the story mm-hmm. in order to get close to uh, Diamond McQueen or whatever his name is. Right. 
And so I think it works. Is it a little exploitive? Sure. But this is a PG-13 movie targeted at people older than 13. Um, and then from there, it just busts out to a huge fight scene and a chase clear across Gotham City to the docks, where ultimately uh, Catwoman opens up the, the crate, this big shipping container, and inside she finds what we presume to be a, a sex slave mm-hmm. trafficking. And one of the people happens to be Holly Robinson. Not that Holly Robinson, Ah, but Holly Robinson. Yeah, it would have been more interesting that way. And the only reason why Catwoman made it to the docks in time is because the necklace that the cat was wearing at the beginning of the movie, or at the beginning of the short, uh, was actually a gift from Catwoman to Holly that she had inscribed on the back. So she knew that Holly was in trouble and she had to find out where she was. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes works in that sense. I don't think that this is based on any uh, DC comic that I know of, but it's clearly set in the Batman year one universe, probably taking place right in the middle of the uh, of the year one story because it features the same age looking Holly Robinson that we see in the Batman year one. It features a different Catwoman costume. It does. Which I was like, if you're going to go through all the trouble of. Casting the same person mm-hmm. involving Holly Robinson and making everything look so similar, giving Selena Kyle the same haircut right. when she takes off the mask, mm-hmm. why not just have the same costume on both features? She upgraded. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird because I too was like, wait a minute, is that that that's a different costume. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, overall, I thought the short was okay. It wasn't anything spectacular. Still by far, if if I were to rank the best shorts that DC has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one would be the size 42 long. And then it would be the, no, never mind. Uh, it would be the green, uh, I mean, the Spectre short mm-hmm. that by far is still my favorite. And then the one that came out as a collection of shorts, the uh, Superman Shazam Return of Black Adam right. one, that one is really well done. And then, you know, maybe Green Arrow after that, I think. I don't know. The Green Arrow one and this Catwoman one were very similar to one another in that it's just a big action chase scene throughout. So that's kind of where I rank it. I'd probably give it, eh, three and a half stars on that. It it wasn't terrible, but it also wasn't the best thing in the world. But it was an extra feature. And if you're going to get Batman Year One, you're automatically going to get Catwoman. So you might as well take the time to watch it. Um... I I honestly wasn't too too into it. I think I was doing something else after the strip scene. Yeah, yeah. And really that's that's what it came down to for me is all of a sudden we're in a strip club and you are looking basically as though the camera is in Catwoman's belt right. looking at the guy right. through the space between her perfectly <laughs> uh, rounded yes, bazungas. Right. So that that to me encapsulated that the the whole like this is this is Catwoman shaking her jubblies at you right um and then a chase scene. although the cam- it would have been funnier to have a camera going blah blah blah, blah. right <laughs> like the camera just like having trouble with the autofocus because things keep coming, keep coming in and out, out of the out frame ah <laughs> uh, video uh. <laughs> Matthew, are you going to get Batman Year One? Do you watch any of these on DVD, or do you get them on a pay-per-view or anything yeah. like that? I have yet to actually watch one other than the one that we reviewed, I thought. Or maybe there wasn't even one of those. I honestly don't necessarily watch. It's my adaptation thing. If I necessarily, if, let's say I loved Watchmen, 
Mm-hmm. I'm really leery of people adapting Watchmen because the things that I love about Watchmen aren't necessarily going to be there in the adaptation. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily want to see a cartoon version of Batman Year One. I prefer seeing a cartoon doing something, you know, individual and cool and awesome, like the Mr. Freeze episode of Batman the Animated Series. You know, mm-hmm. they're running that on the hub now, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I've seen and I, that. you know, I, I want to see something that isn't necessarily a direct adaptation. I liked the Legion of Superheroes cartoon when they did the Pharaoh Lad story. Because mm-hmm. they did it in a in a way where they were, you know, they honored what went before, but they didn't just retell the story of Pharaoh Lad, because you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I don't necessarily need <laughs> to see it. You know what you might Pharaoh enjoy, Lad? Matthew? What you might enjoy? What's that? Uh, check out, um, crisis. Yeah. Crisis of two, two worlds oh, yeah, on two worlds or two earths or whatever it is. Right. That is a, that's what I was thinking when he said that, because it's, it, it's got all the earth one and or earth three right. craziness, mm-hmm. but it's kind of has that JLU flavor to it. Right. Right. And Owlman totally steals the show. Yeah, he does. It is the Owlman show. Played by um, James Woods. James Woods, yeah. Really, really good in that. Really, really good in that. So, yeah, you, Matthew, you might enjoy gonna, that If one. you're going to check out any of them, I would recommend that you actually track down uh, Crisis on Two Earths, because yeah. that one was really enjoyable. And the alternate reality stuff has a lot of shout-outs mm-hmm. and references that mm-hmm. then, you know, don't get made anything right. out of. So it, right. there's a, there's a, I think there are some extra things in there that you would enjoy. That that does bring up a good topic, though, oh. Rodrigo, in that here's a story, this cri- instead of doing Crisis on Infinite Earths, right. which they could have done, and which they kind of, you know, skim, you know, just briefly. Yeah, some of the themes of it. Touch on in this. Um, it is a different story. I mean, there's no yeah, monitors is. or well, or then you know. But here they're trying to take these multi the the multiverse mm-hmm. and put it into something that people understand. What is the problem with taking an old story? I mean, Marvel seems to be doing this all the time lately. What's the problem with taking an old story and adapting it to modern sensibilities? I, well, I think you start running into problems when the story is so old. That it doesn't naturally fit into modern sensibilities. You can retell Crisis on Infinite Earths, and God knows DC has been. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like you can retell Days of Future Past, just like every three months in, on the X Men, because mm-hmm. that story is not that old. But you know, in the uh, in last Wednesday's podcast, right, we talked about um, immortals, gods immortals, and heroes. gods and heroes, which takes a lot of Greek mythology and. It's basically like take it's saying that you're gonna have fish mm-hmm. and taking off the fish's skin and then putting it on top of a steak and calling it fish in, in a lot of ways. I mean, right, they right. just take a lot of the story and change either lots of little things or some not so little things to fit into what they feel modern audiences are going to be able to relate to, and mm-hmm. thus make it largely irrecognizable from the original. Mm-hmm. Now that does happen with more recent stories, but you know, looking at the new Clash of the Titans, right, um, and looking at this story, 
I see this really strong theme of it's it's like mortals versus gods and mm-hmm. mortals throwing the middle finger at the gods and saying right. we are also powerful and we can totally beat you up y'all mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the older stories were cautionary tales right about precisely Don't piss off the gods. precisely not doing that you know yeah, it's yeah. like nature is dangerous the world is dangerous right. do not think yourself higher than these powers out there you know allegorically speaking you know don't think that you're so important that the world isn't just going to squish you Mm -hmm. because it will you know like so many like as a kid growing up in a western society right you know having watched disney movies and stuff i i was initially very thrown off by some of the mythology that i was reading right it's like here's this guy and he's a hero and he gets a winged horse and he fights a monster and it's awesome and just when he thinks he's gonna win one of the gods sends a mosquito or a fly or something to bite the horse bucks him off he Mm -hmm. falls and he dies Mm -hmm. and that's the story And you're like well what the hell was the moral of that the moral is don't fight the gods right right you know it's like and that's how a lot of these stories went or a lot of them were just straight up historical quote-unquote, you know, mythical historical accounts of how the city was founded. And in the process, the hero of the story is a gigantic douche. Right. Like, he is just basically an evil person who just happens to have a group of people that he cares about Mm -hmm. and isn't a douche to them. Right. So these stories, when they try to translate them into a modern sensibility, has to get so sanitized and so mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm. that they're basically irrecognizable from the originals. Matthew, is that is? Do you think that that's the case? I mean, look at, and I, I know you're well read. You've probably read all the original Grimm fairy tales, and those are pretty. Yeah, no, probably. <laughs> you haven't. I, I find that hard to believe. But I mean, they're pretty gruesome tales. Right. It's about cannibalism yeah. mm-hmm. and rape and murder. And here's a guy that took a mirror and carved his own eyes out. Mm-hmm. That's pretty gruesome stuff. Yet you go and you look at Beauty and the Beast yeah. or you go and look at Snow White and it's like happy times. I can see that. But again, what it, what it breaks down to for me is if you're going to tell a story in a new medium, featuring something that's come from that other medium, you're not necessarily best served taking something that, you know, like we said in the, you know, the Immortals, Gods, Monsters, Hammurabi, whatever it was, where they took the name Prometheus and they, you know, they name checked what happened to Prometheus in the traditional stories, but then they went a different direction with it. You know, it's it creates that problem that I had with Ultimate Spider-Man, where I now have to not only remember what happened to Spider-Man, I have to remember if I want to read Ultimate Spider-Man that this didn't happen to that version of Mm Spider-Man. And, you know, when I go through and like, for instance, the adaptation of Watchmen that I used as the example earlier was good up until the point where I realized that one of my favorite characters from the the comic is, for all intents and purposes, completely absent in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's Laurie just basic, the Silk Spectre. There is almost no vestige of what I loved about Laurie in that story in that movie. So mm-hmm. no matter how good that movie is, it's not the story that I read in the comics, nor really should it be, or could it be the story that I read in the comics. So, If you have to tell a different story because of the medium, 
if, say, you're going to adapt Catwoman number one from the new 52, and you're mm-hmm. going to make it as a hentai anime porn series. Oh, no, I would just uh, go over to gonna... Axel Braun at Vivid.com and say, mm-hmm. Axel, Catwoman, new 52, triple X porn parody, go. Doesn't even have to be animated, just triple X and porn he... parody, go. And he wouldn't have to go that far. I mean, literally, it would be something where we just insert different word balloons. But I, I also look at... Did you ever read, this is something, you're well-read, Stephen. Did you ever read the old Thimble Theater cartoons? Okay. Did I read them? Yeah, the original Popeye stuff, yeah. Yeah. Now, and when you saw a Popeye cartoon when we were a kid, did you notice how they didn't do the same thing? And when they did that really cool Robert Altman movie in 1970, right? everybody went, this isn't Popeye. Because he wasn't adapting the Popeye cartoons that we knew from right, when we were kids. He was adapting the Thimble Theater He was Theater adapting stuff. Thimble Theater. Right. He was adapting the the Ur Popeye, mm-hmm. and not the version of Popeye that was most popular. And I think that's part of the reason why that movie is considered a critical failure. He called it Popeye. He took the basic essence, the very earliest stories of Popeye, and so the 50,000 people who went, hey, I remember this, this is what Popeye is, hooray. Mm-hmm. And then the millions and millions of people who went, no, no, Popeye's a guy in a sailor suit beating up Bluto over a woman who's built like, you know, a microphone stand. When that didn't happen, you had that, that adaptation fatigue. You had that kind of that, that, uh, cognitive dissonance, if you will. That's my problem with an adaptation is I've been disappointed enough that when somebody says, you know what they should do? They should make a TV show about Superboy. And my response would be, well, they can't. And they're like, no, 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 we'll make it good. We'll make it about Superboy, but we won't call him Superboy. And he won't have a costume, and he won't have a cape, and he won't use all of his powers, and he won't be a superhero. Okay. So you're adapting something, and then you're taking it, and you're putting it in that different thing, and you're taking the things that you think are going to work. You're doing something entirely different. That, I think, you can do. And thus, we have 12 years of Smallville. But if they had done that as a straightforward Superboy comic from 1949 or even 1979, I don't think that book would have or that show would have lasted. When they did it in, what, in the 90s as a straightforward Superboy tale, it tanked in a season and a half. Well, the reason why you're going to, I mean, really when it boils down to it, when 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 you're adapting something, you're trying to modify it to attract no, you're not trying to modify it. You're trying to attract a new audience, right? Mm-hmm. And right. the only way to attract that new audience is to make it appealing to them, to that audience. So as I mentioned exactly. on, on the so Wednesday why show. Why not do something new? Why not steal Days of Future Past and call it Heroes? Well, they did. Yeah, they did do that, and it was fairly successful. You do get into issues, though, of that. It's like, if... It, it it's funny that heroes did basically just you know, and I know that we get we already for talked about this, this and, yes. you know, but heroes largely ripped off a lot of ideas that X Men had, um, and then called it their own, right? Um, we've never and, seen this before, right? And that's and that's a problem, but there's, I, I think there's there's a middle ground mm-hmm. where you can do. Something that was inspired by the Iliad without making it the Iliad movie, which would take 17 hours. 
Um, what was – there was an adaptation of that. Yes. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. And it was done very well. Right. Right. And you didn't even know that it was an adaptation right. of that. And then when you go back and think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, hell of a lose adaptation. But yeah, yeah, yeah I can yeah, see yeah. it. Yeah. And is that such a bad thing? No, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Although I think that Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is very is, – is barely an adaptation. Right. If at all, it's it's more of a movie that has an inspiration of that story mm-hmm. because it largely goes its own way when it needs to. But I mean, the same thing could really kind of be said for the Batman TV show in the 60s. Sure. Right. They had to make that comical and comedic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it would fly past the censors. Right. And also because it wasn't the dark brooding or the we wouldn't say brooding, but the uh, more crime filled mm-hmm. stories that people were seeing in the. In the in the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. and up to a point in the 50s. So, I mean, these are things that have to happen and occur. But the thing is, Matthew, going back to you, if I'm understanding you correctly, Matthew, are you saying don't do a Superboy television show? Do a show about a kid with superpowers. Is that what you're saying? Uh, to some degree, yeah. I'm saying if you say, I'm going to make a TV show that tells the story of Superboy Volume 1, point by point, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not creating a TV show. You are creating the comic book version of the TV show, which is why when, you know, when an adaptation surprises me, sometimes it's a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, for instance, if you were just, if you're trying to make a, a kicky, punchy action movie, why would you call it Sherlock Holmes? Mm-hmm. Or the well, three because Sherlock Holmes sells people. Yeah. Or the three students. And that's kind of the thing. <laughs> that's the kind of thing you get into. You know, it's something where I'm going to do this, 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 you know, movie about these two guys who are basically jerks who hate everybody and treat everybody like dirt and are surrounded by idiots. But I'm going to call it the Dukes of Hazard. And the Dukes of Hazard is a name that's going to bring people in expecting mm-hmm. to have Two, you know, rednecks who are part of a strong, loving, albeit, you know, unusual family who are basically good intentioned people. But then you have this movie about these two jerks who are supposed to be sort of the same character. You've killed your adaptation there by adapting something that is not what you're actually giving people. Right. So, yeah, Smallville is a great example of taking something that works or taking bits of something else and saying, this is like this, and this is based on this, and, you know, we want you to see the parallels to this, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, it's something that is entirely new and entirely different, and it ends with that moment where Superman is Superman and la do da You know, it, it is something that gets those same points, and it tells a story that can only be told in a nighttime soap opera format that also features elements of Superman. And that works. It's an adaptation that works rather than trying to tell the story of actually, you know, and then Superboy showed up at Luthor's lab and went, right. And then all of Luthor's hair fell out. Speaking of Superman, speaking of Superman, is Superman a biblical adaptation? (laughs) You could, there was an interesting interview with Michael Uslan that I, Uslan that I was listening to the other day. Where he was talking about when he was the person who created the first comic book course 
accredited comic book course in the nation. Mm-hmm. And he had to go before the dean. And as he was making his, his argument, the dean cut him off and said, I don't want to hear anymore. And he said, there's no way that you can say that uh, comic books are modern mythology. And Uslan had asked the dean, dean, tell me what you know about uh, 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 Moses. Moses. He said, well, Moses, uh, uh, family had to killing everybody. And he put the child in the in the ark or in the uh, not the ark but the the basket basket went down the river adopted by another group of of uh, people and then whenever he came into his own he realized his heritage and he did great things for people and then uslan said well tell me what you know about superman well his planet was dying his parents sent him off into a spaceship and then he was adopted by this other group of people and oh right is it an adaptation I don't think it's really an adaptation. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about, of finding things that are resonant in mythology Mm -hmm. and then using them to your advantage. And a lot of the time, writers do this subconsciously. And I think that, you know, possibly a third of all the he's actually related to you reveals are sort of subconsciously done. Not Mm -hmm. The art is not really thinking that. They are writing Star Wars again. Right. Um. So, but so, yeah, I think Superman is 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 a good example of something where you can read, you know, you can read a lot of things. You can read Superman as Moses. Mm-hmm. You can read Superman as Jesus, mm-hmm. especially the way that he's played in the movies. Right. As well, I, especially since he's played by Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I, Jor-El, send the earth my only son. Right. So right. that he may do great things over there and everybody will see him as an example. Right. And everybody will wear the yeah. thing that killed them on a T-shirt, um, right? But it it, it also it, it's describing. Do you remember Darmok, Stephen? I Star don't. Trek: The Next Get Generation. The, well, the I Tumerian remember Star Trek: homeworld. The Next Generation. Sure. Captain Captain Dathan is trying to communicate, and the universal translators don't work. And his people speak entirely. Oh in yeah, 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 yeah. Darmok and Jalad at yeah, yeah, Tanagra. At, yes, yes, yes. We, we as a culture, especially in our pop culture, are starting to become the Tamarians. Right. In that, it's a question of Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Well, okay. How does that work? Let's say it's X plus X. So. Uh, you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson in a hospital and its house. Right. You see what I'm saying? We're breaking down to the point where Superman as a metaphor that mirrors the metaphor of Moses, that, that story, that myth, that history, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to, you know, crap on anybody's uh, beliefs in the, in the thing about whatever that is, it's, it, it's likely become a situation where now people are intentionally reading that into it because that's how we digest our pop culture. That's mm-hmm. how we digest the universe. We look so, at things and we go, well, this is Indiana Jones in space. Mm-hmm. And there's really probably nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's the way Hollywood. That's the reason why Hollywood buys into what they buy, because they take they take those familiar things and turn it into something different or new or uh, adaptation well, and, or whatever. And I think the, the problem lies where it's not just a metaphor. And, you know, you can you can do Indiana Jones in space, but then the first time that you come into a space-only situation or a situation that wouldn't that Indiana Jones went through that wouldn't manifest in space, the writer has to say, oh, well, this won't work. 
let's change everything a little bit right. so that we can keep telling the story as mm -hmm. opposed to what they do a lot of the time, which is like, oh, this won't work. Let's right. pretend like it doesn't, like it still does and keep going. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, what mm -hmm. happens a lot of the, you know, it's space zombies or it's a ghost movie mm -hmm. in space. Right. You know, that that sort of yeah. thing where it's just like it is the same movie just in a different location. Right. Um exactly. horror horror but has a lot of a lot of that. While you can't um you know, go back to, to the idea of well, do something different. I mean, don't call it Superboy. Right. Call right. it Smallville or do something different, but it's still in yeah, the same instead idea. He gets his powers from an alien suit and he has like really right, curly right. hair. Yeah. Um yeah. one of the and one of the good things about one of the good things about taking uh, Superboy and turning it into a Smallville series for ten years is it does something really important. It keeps that brand or that idea right. alive, mm -hmm. and that kind of wraps us back around to piracy mm -hmm. at the beginning. Where one of the nice things about piracy, and I forget which one of you said it, probably you, the diffusion mm -hmm. of these titles is. Even those 3% or the 3,000 people or however many people are pirating comics, 60,000 people. Let's, let's give it an outrageous number. The 10 million people that are pirating comics, <laughs> right? You know what they're also doing? Disseminating. Yes, I'm sure they are. But you know what else they're doing? Archiving. Yes, but they're also doing something else. Sleeping. Yes, give us a sleeping. hint, Dr. Gillette. Uh, they've probably got some money because they're not buy buying these pirated comics. Mm -hmm. But what are they buying instead? They're buying the Superman t-shirt. They're mm -hmm. buying the Superman hat. They're buying the Batman keychain. They're, they're going out and buying the 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 uh, Wonder Woman rims to put on their pink BMWs. Right. Right? I mean, I did. I know you did. That's why I brought it up. Um, so in a sense... A lot of these things, doing these, what some people may say, faulty adaptations or bad adaptations or whatever, can sometimes be designed just to keep the property alive. Mm. So it's in people's minds so that they'll go out and buy the merchandise, which keeps the company alive. And some people have argued that the only reason why uh, companies continue to pump the, the monthly magazine out despite the sales is to keep the, that property in the mind of the public so that they'll continue to buy the real moneymaker, the merchandising. Believe that or not? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's, I, that's I think depressing, is well, Why is it depressing? Why is it depressing? A company's depressing. job is to make money. You know, as much as, as Major Spoilers is here to entertain, we'd also like to make something mm -hmm. uh, on the back end, which is why we have the two, the five, the $10 a month recurring donations, which we hope that you people consider when you consider it's only like 33 cents an episode for hundreds of hours of entertainment. Okay. Um, but at the same time, Time Warner isn't sitting there. We are so generous that we are going to make entertainment for the masses and we don't care if we make any money or not. No, they're not that way. Right. They need to make some money off of it. And if they can pump out an Aquaman title and sell an Aquaman action figure for 15 bucks and a comic book costs three bucks and they know that they can sell 10 times the number of Batman, the Brave and the Bold animated Aquaman DVDs. figures oh, yeah. as they can an Aquaman number one comic book. Well, guess what they're going to do? Mm. Go out and make the action figure. The reason why so many Cartoon Network shows fail, 
I'm really, really wanted that uh, symbiotic Titan to survive. Right. The reason it didn't get continued is because they couldn't make any money off the merchandising. Mm-hmm. So maybe money, adaptations, pirating, all ties back into that glorious merchandise. Sure. That ends up making money for the company. Thoughts on that, Matthew? It's very depressing. Why depressing? Well, because you why does it make like Matthew sad? Why does it make Matthew's inner child cry? Uh, well, we'll never know because I haven't finished a sentence. Anyway, you like <laughs> to imagine that platonic <laughs> ideal that you know these things exist because someone had an idea that was unstoppable and had to put it on paper, and it am art. When, you know, honestly, the truth is Aquaman and to an even greater degree Wonder Woman for the last 10, 25 years have existed more as, you know, sort of a corporate gestalt state uh, to sell underoos, even though they don't actually sell underoos anymore. Because really, you look at the characters who are constantly being revamped and constantly being rebooted and constantly being rejiggered and reframistated, and you think, well... They don't really have a default state. Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Hawkman, to some degree the Fantastic Four, go through this where they change them up and they change them up because they don't really have a default state. They, they've become, after 60, 70, 40, 50 years, they've become adaptive to whatever else is going on in the firmament. So you get dark and gritty bearded Aquaman with a hook and then we undo that and then you get different and then you get Aquaman with no shirt who, you know, is a big fan with the ladies and you know, 10% of the guys. And then you get all of the stuff that what it really boils down to is part of me is just like, can it just be about the books? And of course it, it isn't and it can't and it never was, but it's still a little sad to me. Yeah, to be honest, Matthew, if it, if it was just about the books, I really think... Uh, we wouldn't have comic books right now. Well, here's the thing: it's, it's a corporate you environment. Are a cynic. Well, I and I'm I'm probably not as big of a of a cynic as, as Stephen is, but I'm a I'm 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 somewhere in the middle there, as usual. Um, <laughs> you are that, the balance. Here's the thing: for Matthew and I, you know, comic books are there to sell action figures, right? In, and underoos. And underoos, but. They, they, the properties that are still around, even the characters that are still floating around without a title, mm-hmm. are there because at some point they were well written mm-hmm. and they actually, well, okay, well written <laughs> might be a, a little much, but they caught onto some part of the of of the consciousness of of the people, right? And that's why they keep getting brought back and they keep trying them out and trying them out and trying them out until something works, mm-hmm. and that is because. You can sell boobies, yes. right? You can sell sure sex. You can. you can sell image. Sure you can. Um, which was a large part of image's plan was to sell boobies. But what I mean is like the, the, the you can sell cool. Right, right. Um, you can sell lifestyle. Right. You can, and, but more importantly, you can sell content. Mm-hmm. You know, so when somebody writes a great story, that is also marketable. Mm-hmm. So in a way... It is. It can be about the books as much as it is about the underoos. Now I'm gonna eventually have to look up what an underoo is. But um, underoos is a brand of underwear for children produced by the Fruit of the Loom Company. Started in 1977, went nationwide in 1978. 
And now Stop I reading know. the wiki. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Dun, 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 dun. So yes, you can sell a lot of things. And one of those things is an innovative quality story. So right. you can make it about the book. Right. And indeed, sometimes, weirdly enough, it is about the book. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's what's surprising. You know, I, I still hold that that Aquaman from... Uh, the Brave and the Bold mm-hmm. is the best Aquaman I've seen. It is the best Aquaman. Um, and that is largely because it puts Aquaman in a place where he hasn't been, and not a lot of current superheroes are. So much so that that's kind of where Booster Gold used to be. Yes. And they have done a lot to try to move him away from that. Right. To make him a serious hero. Right. To make him, you know, you know have him more grit mm-hmm. and more, you know, and redeem himself from being a chump. Um so now that that space is empty in DC Comics, and that's a space that they can put Aquaman in if they would let him. It, you know, and, and and by DC Comics, I mean the whole DC universe, including movies and, and right, stuff right, like right. that. Because I think the current take on Aquaman in the New Fifty Two isn't like that. No, but in Crisis on Infinite uh, or Crisis on Two Earths, yes, Aquaman he's, is he's on there. Almost just Aquaman like is that. on there for three seconds, and he has, he has more personality yes, he than in the entire Morrison run I of the JLA. Almost felt like his portrayal in that movie was almost in line with. Brave the Brave and the Bold animated series. Yeah. It was close. It was a less cartoony version right. of that. But it was definitely. And it was it was so strong because it makes sense. Right. Like, for once, it makes sense. For once, he's not Namor because he's really not Namor. Right. Um, he's a king. Mm-hmm. He's super strong and super tough. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense that he would have that attitude. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. attitude of... You know, I'm not as strong as Superman, but who cares? I can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me I can't do this. Yeah, I'm yeah. freaking Aquaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Matthew, do you think, just out of curiosity, as we need to wrap up this show and get to our next one, um, do you think that a Brave and the Bold Aquaman would work in the comic books? Do you think that characterization could be adapted into the comic book and make Aquaman that stellar character that everyone peg him, pegs him down on time after time? For a while. Um, I think that the inherent cynicism of uh, comic book readers and especially comic book creators today would quickly have, you know, tragedy and things raining down on him from the sky. Ah, uh, But he, I, he I, handles I really... tragedy so well. <laughs> Remember that Brave and the Bold where he and he and Aquaman team up to go fight with uh, Adam Strange? And and Aquaman's all depressed about something, and I forget what it is, but he's just like, oh, well, <laughs> just kind of like. I, I, here's the other: it's like <laughs> he, you know, Aquaman gets played as that, uh, like a, a Greek hero, right? You know, and and Greek heroes are capable of great melancholy as well. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, it's something that could work. You would almost have to take Aquaman out of the DC universe to a large extent, and, yeah. and that's is that what Marine Man did. No, Marine okay. Man was a whole different thing. Okay. Um, Batman Brave and the Bold is, is wrapping up. This is the last season for it. Mm-hmm. Could Aquaman Matthew sustain his own animated series? Yes, but they won't do it. Oh, I know they won't. Aquaman, Aquaman sustained his own series 40 years ago. I yes. think that... Yeah, I think he could... 
And I think that the current Brave and the Bold version would probably be the one who could do it the most successfully. But I don't think they'll do it because I think that Aquaman is one of those characters where, again, they, they, you know, he is more important as intellectual property than he is as a character. Mm-hmm. And I think that an Aquaman ongoing series isn't going to draw the kind of eyes that another Batman series. Did you know we're getting another right. Batman series? Yeah. Yeah. He's the another most popular Batman character. Series would. No, well, he's not. He's so the second most popular. So out of the entire the first one is Deadpool. Yeah, that's it. He's become so popular that he's also DC's most popular <laughs> character now. <laughs> because um, I'm Batman. Of the uh, of the um, of the Brave and the Bold, you get you watch Brave and the Bold, Rodrigo. Religiously, I've, I've caught a few episodes. I, okay. I, I you know I don't have cable anymore. Basically, so. right. If if Matthew or Rodrigo. If you could have any series spin off from Batman Brave and the Bold, what would it be? Oh, I who would it. be the character? <laughs> you know, the it would be Meister. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think you could do a weekly musical that way. No, Especially you could. Glee. Music Glee is doing it. You could totally yeah, do you it. Probably can. Yes. But the villain the is protagonist probably would be a little hard to sell. The, can you imagine the Music Meister showing up in Metropolis? Oh yeah, yeah, and Lois Lois singing like a, a an ode to Superman. Ah, oh, it'd be great. I but was going to say either Blue Beetle, no, no mm-hmm. Neil Patrick Harris, and the deal's off. Yeah, I was going to say Blue Beetle. I think could handle mm-hmm. his own. You know, here is a you could almost have it brave in the almost brave in the bold, but without Batman, where Blue Beetle is coming into his own as a hero, and occasionally he needs to get help from Green Arrow or right. Stargirl or Bawana whoever. Bawana Beast. Every so often. Bawana Beast, I think, exactly. I think that one would work really well. Mm-hmm. The other one that I think would probably, well, there's two others. There's um, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. especially in the jo- Golly Gee Whiz kind of uh, frame of it. And the other one would be the Justice League International uh, version or the Justice League version that they have with... Um, you know, fire and ice and, and mm-hmm. booster and, and beetle and, and uh, guy Garner, I think probably could hold its own as a series. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I probably would try to pitch an Aquaman series. Did they ever, did they ever show uh, Aqualad? They do that? have his son. There's, I think there's two different characters in that. There's his son, mm-hmm. which is the blonde haired blue tight one that we've seen in the comics. Right. And then there is the, what was the black uh, the aqua lad character uh, from after brightest day uh, the one from like the 1940s that sidekick oh the black haired one yeah, yeah. the black haired one that featured him in the brave and yeah. yeah garth has been in there as See, well here's how here's how i would do the aquaman series it would be aquaman from brave and the bold mm-hmm. you know haha and we shall call this the time when i beat up a dragon yeah and his sidekick who's Tempest, mm-hmm. not Aqualad, Tempest, mm-hmm. who is kind of this like gothy kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it would be the play between the two of them is like, cheer up, Tempest, we yeah. have to defeat this you dragon. To, you need to see the Aquaman on vacation episode. Oh, really? Where his son is kind of that way, just kind of, yeah, dad, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Blah, blah, blah. Why see, do we got to do this? And that would be the series on that interplay of, you know, and, and then basically Aquaman every once in a while gets to that other pole right because he's clearly bipolar <laughs> and then tempest who is a, the, the the moody one i mean his name is tempest right. right has to go cheer him up 
in order for them to succeed, in order for their partnership not to dissolve. So that's that's what I would do. And, you know, it, it would probably actually be very similar to the uh, Adam West Batman stuff, but it would also be self-aware in a way that it, it wouldn't quite uh, quite devolve entirely into that. Oh, man, I wish I had the boys iPad here. Because I can go in and I can look at exactly how many times certain episodes are played. Mm-hmm. Like, there's one episode of Superhero Squad that he's played like 600 times. Nice. I could go in and tell you exactly what episode of Brave and the Bold is his favorite one. And it, yeah. Matthew, what about you? Did you come up with a, a better idea besides music? Well, not better idea. An other idea besides <laughs> Music Meister? No, I want to see Music Meister. Okay, there you go. All right, listeners, we got to get out of here. We got one more show to record. Yeah, we do. Because that's how dedicated we are, staying up late to get shows to you, the dear listener, for nothing. And if this show was worth something to you, consider making a two, a five, or a ten dollar a month donation. Because when you give more, we can do more. Happy listening. I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, Rodrigo's going to go to the bathroom. Matthew's going to take a stretch. And then we'll come back and do something else. So until next time, here's hoping all of your podcasts involve major spoilers. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. But as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine bee In the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.